Anya, what are you staring at? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> the ghost behind me. <laughs> I hope not. No, I'm not. Okay I with haven't that. had I haven't had any um natural experiences in this house, which is nice. <laughs> Knock on wood. I mean, yeah. Don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hi. How's it going? We're sitting really close. We're sitting really other. close because Jasmine has decided to not give up her throne. Because has made their life difficult for the past two days. <laughs> yeah, cat is. Mm-hmm. What would you call it? Hmm? Thor. What would you call it, Thor? I, 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 it's like you're not. I'm trained as a backup handler to a facility slash therapy dog there for go. work. Yes. And he is here. He's been here since Thursday night. The poor cats are on it. <laughs> Actually, I'm yeah. really surprised Anya's been doing really good. Oh, yeah, Anya's, Anya's been screaming at him. Anna. He seems much calmer now. He's actually yeah. sleeping. Oh, yeah. He was quite scared when they first got yeah. here. Well, he was overwhelmed. We took him to a big marketplace. We're still socializing him. So you know, big marketplace, and he's all, oh, my God, so many people. <laughs> That's how I get. Me I don't too. blame him. I know. <laughs> <I'm very laughs> he's scared of children. I'm like, me too, Thor. Me too. <laughs> But yeah, it's also been a while since we've seen each other. I know. It's been, how long has it been? Like three weeks? Yeah. So I was going to say for, for you listeners, um, if you've been following us with Agrippina, um, it's only been two weeks for you since you get to find out how this story ends. For Kat, it's been three weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> It's been a while. Very exciting. Uh, <laughs> um, so how have you been in these three weeks? I've been really, really good. Yeah. I went on vacation. So my best friend from California visited. I haven't seen Whitney. Hi, Whitney. Hey. <laughs> I haven't seen her since uh, COVID. So we, we both are vaccinated now and still have to be careful when you travel. But I got to see her. She came out to visit and I rented us a cabin up in the um, the High National Forest, Hell yeah. which is really cool, by the way. Oh, yeah. I freaking loved it. Yeah. Um, it was amazing just to get away from the city, and we had a whole cabin to ourselves. And, and before of... everyone starts screaming, Rachel, she did invite me, but I've got a diabetic cat, so it's hard to do <laughs> things overnight. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did. There are some places, if you're ever interested in doing something like that, that do yeah. allow pets, but I would have to find that yeah it's it's a pain yeah um other than that i've been good <laughs> wow that pause was uh well no i was just you like just sold me <laughs> it's like when you're when you're kind of even keel and um i don't know i haven't you're not great you're not bad you're just no i'm 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 good <laughs> yeah it's like there's just nothing to report it's like one step up from fine right yeah yes <laughs> content i guess um yeah. I mean, work's been busy here and there, but that's yeah. just kind of par for the cause. Yeah. I'm not like no crazy mental health days that I've needed oh. and uh, like just getting out away from the city and in the forest and away oh, from people. I it was refreshing to was just restart and recharge. And- very much, yeah. very much refreshing. And I do feel pretty recharged. So I'm in, I'm in a good place right now. How are you? How are you? Okay. Good. I'm actually, since I've had, for two days, I've actually been going on walks. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> because I hate walking by myself. 
So even just going on on walks, who knew? I feel great, but a lot yeah. of people know that. You should go on walks. <laughs> walks are good for you. Just getting out, getting outside. It's hard. It's getting hard. I have a weird thing about walking by myself. No, I get it. I'm the same. <laughs> That's why I always said, like, if I had a bunch of money, like, I would travel the world, but I would bring somebody with me. Um, yeah, I volunteered. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I like if I had money to comfortably live and do whatever I want, I would travel the world, and depending on the place, I would call up a friend be like hey come with me yes. <laughs> you i would take to ireland obviously ireland and england and, and then leave me yes we'll find you a beautiful irish boy Ooh, in okay. a cat village where you can just sounds fucking great <laughs> sign me up i actually want to go live with the fairy folk over there so. oh the faithful yeah i tried okay so i the tuatha did you, you told me to like try <laughs> to reach out to like a beautiful favorite in the forest. Yeah, she was supposed to get kidnapped by a female and then send someone back for me. <laughs> the forest I was in though, like it's more likely I would be taken by aliens than safe. folks. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would want that kind of probing. No, no probing. No probing. <laughs> but but yeah. Oh, so yeah. I don't want to take too long to get started because um because <laughs> Rachel <laughs> has a lot of pages <laughs> wait you didn't tell me how many pages 16 <laughs> 16 okay now tell everyone how many pages you average I'm I would average I average around 12 yeah that's not too bad <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I cut it like a whole two pages <laughs> you guys are making fun of her but I've never actually written one and she's She's like, you should write the next one. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to do. Like, I have someone in mind, but I just. You're not there yet. My life is insane right now. Yeah. I don't have any time. <laughs> it's kind of. <laughs> I haven't even listened to our own episodes. You should. They're good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh. it's bad, but I kind of like. <laughs> like, I don't like hanging out with people all the time like I really have to be in the mood and I legitimately have an excuse now where I'm like yeah I can't I can't hang out with you I have I have to write a podcast episode yeah sorry <laughs> it's like a legitimate excuse now I don't know you need an excuse and I'm just like yeah um, I can't hang out with you because I don't want to I mean I say that too yeah, yeah. But now it's it's literally like oh no I'm sorry that's the oh, podcast episode to write oh no oh no <laughs> yeah um what episode are we on 12 Oh, God, that might help. So, uh, I'm Rachel. Oh, shit, I'm Kat. <laughs> this is Difficult Damsel. Obviously, we're just probably not going to talk this whole episode. And this is episode 12, so we are doing Agrippina, part two. Um, and if you hear clicking, it's because Kat forgot to charge the iPad. I don't think we'll hear it. We'll see. <laughs> they heard clinking. I heard clinking in my glass from across the room. <laughs> Which microphone? episode were you listening to? <laughs> well, that's why. Fight me. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyway, um, first, a really quick comment. Uh, <laughs> my my friend messaged me because we were doing the whole, like, what the hell is CE and what does it mean? So <laughs> CE means Common Era. And then BCE means Before Common Era. So now you know. Sure. So now you know. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> Anytime anyone says, though. so now, <laughs> Anytime anyone says, so now you know, the... Disney Kid in Me comes out because it's my super short show. You ever see that? I have not. <gasps> wow. 
That's I right. am so sorry. Cutter. <laughs> um, so, so part of what I cut was like a whole summary of the last episode. You're not getting that. If yeah, you fuck off. want to know like what nice happened and then come back, <laughs> go listen to Agrippina part one. Um, what I will say is when we left off with Agrippina part one, she had just been married to Emperor Claudius. This marriage came several months after a series of chaotic events that culminated in Claudius's last wife, Messalina. You remember that? I remember her. She was in the border of the page. <laughs> <laughs> when she married her boyfriend while still married to the emperor and um, supposedly tried to spearhead a coup against the imperial throne. She was killed along with her boyfriend and several people involved in the plot. That's why you just don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Especially in Rome. Like, Especially on. in Rome. Come on. Three, months, works. three months later, Claudius married Agrippina, and lest we forget, she also happens to be his niece. Oh, God, I forgot. <laughs> no. Yes. God, let's oh. bring mm-hmm. on the incest. Oh. You're excited. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> I thought you were gonna yell this, at me. You gave me the yell at you eyes. <laughs> oh, this episode is full of incest, and some of it's real, and some of it's not. But yes, Rachel's not like mentally ill with the, in- the incest. She's just it's her favorite literary trope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with caveats. I'm not gonna yes. get into them, but yeah. So I'm sure by now some of you are wondering why did Claudius marry his niece? Because he's disgusting and Roman. <laughs> So there are a couple of very convoluted answers to this question, and none of them are all that satisfactory because they come to us filtered through the misogynistic tongues of our favorite crazy uncle historians, Tacitus and Cetodius. I forgot about them too. God, it's been forever. I need a recap. (laughs) So Tacitus suggests that someone as bumbling and indecisive as Claudius could not be trusted to choose his own wife, and thus was hardly even considered in the process. Claudius was uniquely and perhaps accidentally progressive in his time when it came to the men he chose to surround himself with. He was known to have employed freedmen. These were often Greek men that came to Rome as slaves and were employed in a number of administrative roles that could earn their freedom after a certain amount of time. This might sound decent to us, (laughs) but the snooty Roman aristocracy, aka the Senate, often accused Claudius of being ruled by them. Suetonius goes so far as to say that Claudius was the servant and his slaves and wives the acting pre- princeps. Lovely Probably ch- because they lovely were smarter. <laughs> I mean, they just looked for any excuse they could yeah. to say that like Claudius had no control over anything in his life. Sure. So very much meant as an insult. <laughs> We hear from Tacitus that the three freedmen closest to Claudius were said to have literally debated his next wife around a table, each putting forth their own candidate like some sort of weird version of Bachelorette Rome edition. Is that not what they do all the time anyway? The whole whole family plans the wedding or the marriage. Yeah, but this is literally the advisors. This isn't even like family. This is each of them saying, like, they literally each put forth their own candidate and then argued for the reason why. That's what happens when you're in power. You don't really have control over your life. No. (laughs) No, but Claudius, well, according to Tacitus, he was saying Claudius literally wasn't even considered. So the three men in question, the three advisors, were Narcissus, Callistus, and Pallas. Narcissus's choice was Alia Patina 
who had been Claudius's second wife that he had previously divorced. This was so he could be with Messalina. Oh, yeah. Um, she was the safe but boring choice. Uh, She's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember the name Narcissus. He will go on to become one of Agrippina's biggest adversaries going forward. Um, and <laughs> as Agrippina's star rises in the imperial court, Narcissus's his will slowly fall. Now, Callistus's choice had been Lalia Polina, supposedly because she was a sounds like a pop singer, wealthy. Oh my god! Yeah, these names. Sorry. (laughs) And then Pallas put for put forward Agrippina for obvious reasons. Pallas with P A L A C P A L L A S. Pallas. Sure. Yeah. So she came from the ancient and noble Julian bloodline, granting her legitimacy that also superseded Claudius's legitimacy because she was the great granddaughter of Augustus. But she was also hugely popular in Rome by virtue of being the daughter of Germanicus. Oh, yeah. AKA (laughs) Claudius's brother. So the choice God was, damn it. I keep okay. Yep. The choice <laughs> was obvious for political reasons. Was it fucking obvious? To them. To them, it's it's all about bloodlines. Like Is this like the I'm one fourteenth Cherokee, so therefore I'm Cherokee? No, you're fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she was one hundred percent the blood of the gods. She was one hundred percent his niece. <laughs> She was 100% his niece, it's true. <laughs> I can fucking map too. <laughs> in Suetonius's version of events, Agrippina is more of an active agent in her fate. Suetonius would have us believe that Agrippina was a shameless opportunist that actively worked to seduce Claudius so that he would marry her. You know, using those feminine wiles we women those are known to employ. Feminine wiles! <laughs> yeah, he writes of her, like, at dinner with him, like, playing footsie under the table. If someone like, touches me with their foot, I'm literally going to throw a punch across the table. Uh, <laughs> no matter how you That's spin That's a warning it. for my future. Whatever. <laughs> no matter how you spin it, it's a little gross, but, um... Gross. Let's try to be somewhat logical about this for just a second. That's, that's not okay. <laughs> the truth is probably some weird conflation of the two stories. We know that Pallas and Agrippina were already allied at this point. It's entirely possible that the three freedmen discussed their emperor's potential new wife and would have likely each put forth a candidate that would have been more favorable to them. But Agrippina was also shrewd enough to understand that if she wanted her son to become the next emperor, it sure as hell would make the job easier if she managed to marry the current emperor and butter him up to the idea with some nightly pillow talk. That whole sentence just hurt my soul. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that last line. You're welcome. That was my Thank added you. It was great. <laughs> it is also entirely possible that his next wife would be equally unpleasant to her as Messalina had been. So let us not forget that Roman politics were not for the faint of heart. It may not have just been a matter of politics for Agrippina, but survival. Now, when all was said and done, careful politicking was required to make all of this work, because even though this is Rome, marrying your niece was still icky, even by their standards. Well, that's good. That's comforting. (laughs) And nothing of the sort had ever been done before. And so when the proposition was formally made, It did not come from Claudius or Agrippina. 
It was made on the floor of the Senate by the most powerful man at the time in the Senate named Vitellius. His proposition centered around the fact that Agrippina was of the Julian bloodline and no nobler woman existed than her. And Claudius deserved a wife after all. His kids needed a mother. And who else would be around to rub the knots in his back and in his feet after a long day of empering? And so he convinced the Senate to amend the law to simply say their marriage was not incest. That's not how that works at all. And then the way this was staged, basically Claudius was just happened. He just happened to take a stroll outside the Senate Did building. Did he happen to take a stroll? Yeah, he was just, he was just there. And the Senate came to him and they were like, Claudius. We, we beseech you to please take this, this noble and beautiful Agrippina for your wife. In it my is head. not incest. In my head. I just picture, you know the scene from Romeo and Juliet? Yes. Where she's up top and he's down and they're like, but it's the Senate. Claudius. It's the Senate. Claudius. And he's like, oh, but of course. <laughs> I don't know why, but that scene just popped in my head where the Senate's up top. Senate's Juliet. Yep. Claudius is Romeo. Thanks <laughs> gently fell into the pool. <laughs> On New Year's Day in 49 CE, Agrippina left her house for the third time and was led down another wedding procession through the streets to the Imperial Palace. And yes, for the third time, I was like, only? But then you're like, to get married. I got it. I'm there. And yes, there was a threshold. And yes, she stuck the landing. (laughs) Power was hers. She was the Empress of Rome and the most powerful woman in all of Western civilization. So this is when everything changed in Rome. Tacitus had the following to say about Agrippina during her reign as the empress with Claudius. From this moment, the country was transformed. Complete obedience was accorded to a woman, and not a woman like Messalina, who toyed with national affairs to satisfy her appetites. This was a rigorous, almost masculine despotism. In public, Agrippina was austere and often arrogant. Her private life was chaste unless there was power to be gained. Her passion to acquire money was unbounded. She wanted it as a stepping stone to supremacy. So basically like, just like all you bastards, but it's not okay when she does it. Precisely. Yeah. Here we have again power wielded by a woman as being a purely masculine trait, wholly abnormal and alien to everything it meant to be feminine and good. Women were emotional creatures that could not be trusted to look after their own affairs and manage their own lives. They were slaves to their desire and completely incapable of making a decision with any form of logic being attached to it. Says men who think with their dicks. (laughs) (laughs) But not Agrippina. Agrippina was diligent and determined. She was not a slave to her passions. She was calculated and logical. And no, this was not something to be celebrated. This was horrific. This was monstrous. Agrippina was an abomination. She was the personification of the thing that stopped men in their nightmares. She was a capable woman with a plan. They the audacity. Like we laugh about this, but this is truly this truly terrifying. Like, them. So scared. They're like we can't have a woman being capable. Can we go back to the guy who <laughs> wanted to marry his or have his horse be his counselor? Can we go back to him? <laughs> what was it? I don't even his know. Counselor. Close enough. It's the same thing. <laughs> he tells you know Caligula just tells his horse. His horse, his horse helps him work through it. Yeah, it's fine. I meant counselor is in blood. You know what? I gotcha. I mean, his advice. 
So one of the first power moves Agrippina made was to recall Seneca from exile. Oh, yeah. You'll remember from our last episode that Seneca was the man that her sister Lavilla had been accused of having an affair with before she was executed. Once Seneca returned to Rome, he was installed as Nero's tutor. Remember the name Seneca? We will return to it a little later. The second major move involved having Lalia Paulina exiled on conspiracy charges involving black magic. Um, so she had been... I was going to say, she's the pop star. Yes. <laughs> would be why. She was kind of like a pop star in the sense that she was extremely wealthy. And then again, she did the thing you're not supposed to do. She flaunted it. Get it. Like she wore obscene amounts of jewelry and beautiful dresses. What are you supposed to do? Sit on it like a throne? Yeah. That would be problematic. You're not supposed to be seen. Women aren't supposed to be seen, Kat. (laughs) So the story concocted to justify her exile, and this was again by um, Agrippina and Claudius, was that she asked an oracle about the fate of Claudius and Agrippina's marriage. Um, So anytime you ask an oracle about the emperor, this is a big no-no because you're basically, the way they said it, you're wishing ill harm upon the emperor because you're asking if something bad will happen. You're just asking if he's going to win the Roman lottery. Uh, maybe she did and they twisted it. Yeah. This is all just an excuse to, to get rid of her. Um, after undergoing a mock trial in which she was not allowed to speak in her defense, she was exiled and subsequently murdered. Subsequently. Subsequently. <laughs> God, always correcting me. I'm always here for you. <laughs> The sources like to call it assisted suicide, but it was mostly all assistance and no actual suicide, just murder, some say, on the orders of Agrippina. There's more to this story, and I didn't include it, but apparently she demanded evidence of... She being a pop star? Agrippina demanded evidence of Lalia Polina's death. So they, they delivered her head. Ew. And again, this is one of the more salacious tales um, related to Agrippina. Apparently, she dug around in the mouth to verify the teeth that it was her. How do you? <laughs> I'm like rubbing my tongue along my teeth right now, guys. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm protecting my teeth with my tongue. That sounds good. <laughs> How do you know? Like, I mean, you can tell my teeth are my teeth because I got a vampire teeth. I don't know. Maybe she had special canine teeth. Who knows? <laughs> don't know. This is just another one of those like Agrippina was bad I'm gonna and go with super this into the dark stupidly arts. wrong because again the teeth. The final major move Agrippina made upon becoming empress was getting her young son Nero betrothed to Claudius's ten-year-old daughter Octavia. Wait. Yes. No. She got her son betrothed to his new stepsister. <laughs> Stay with me. There are reasons. But aren't they closer than stepchildren? No, they're just stepchildren. I mean, they're probably like cousins she's... somewhere down the line. Yeah, because he's. Yeah, they're like cousins. It's disgusting. Okay. We're <laughs> all on the same page. Ew. Go ahead. <laughs> so Claudius had several children by his previous marriages at this point. You'll remember he had Britannicus by Messalina. Octavia was also the daughter of Messalina. This meant that his stepson, Nero, would have been pretty low on the totem pole when it came to his place in the line of of succession. Stepson wasn't good enough, but future son-in-law was different. A son-in-law could eventually become an adopted son, and Agrippina knew this. 
And getting little Nero engaged to little Octavia wasn't just as simple as it sounds. It's so much more awkward than you think. (laughs) (laughs) She's 10 and he's like, nope, don't want to hear it. 12, I think. 14. (laughs) She was already betrothed. Um, What? Yeah, so we don't have time to go into the full story and how it all went down. But basically... Are you sure you don't want to make this a (laughs) three-parter? In order to secure Octavia's hand, it meant accusing her future husband, who happened to be a full adult, (laughs) of incest with his sister. Wait, say that one more time. (laughs) To break the betrothal, Claudius and Agrippina, who were getting married, and it was incest, accused Octavia's future husband of having incest with his sister but it's his sister so it's like closer incest yeah because well, again they, they changed the law so like uncles can marry their nieces that's not that's incest. that's literally what they did and i they forgot the other... romeo and juliet scene you're right yeah okay <laughs> um, why is this happening <laughs> every every week or every every time you, you tell me a story like it can't get any worse and then you keep talking. It's this is we're just scratching the surface in this episode, so buckle up. <laughs> so when all is said and done, Nero is formally betrothed to Octavia. Doing this required Agrippina to work with Lucius Vitellius, the current consul of Rome. Lucius will go on to become Agrippina's mouthpiece on the Senate floor because women again in Rome are not allowed to be physically present in the Senate building. So Agrippina relied on the allies she made in the Senate to essentially speak for her. And Vitellius will be one of those people. All right, all right. The early years of Agrippina and Claudius's marriage were characterized by a stability not known in Rome for many years. Before Agrippina came into the picture, random treason accusations and executions of political rivals in the Senate were not uncommon. Claudius had also fended off a couple of attempted coups and assassination attempts himself. Agrippina being his wife. Yeah. <laughs> Agrippina must have done something right because after she became the empress, the number of executions was markedly less. Rome seemed comfortable at last with their beloved daughter at the helm of the ship. A year after their marriage, Agrippina proposed that Claudius officially adopt Nero as his own. Uh-huh. This would normally have been a red flag for the Senate as adopting Nero would officially recognize Agrippina's son as a legitimate heir to the imperial throne. It was a promise, and this promise meant displacing Claudius's natural-born son, Britannicus. Yet the Senate barely blinked before accepting the adoption. They had been partly responsible for Britannicus's mother, Messalina's, death. And they had every reason to fear that if the boy grew up to become the emperor after Claudius, he might seek vengeance against those that had killed his mother. So in the end... Both Nero and Britannicus are essentially named as co-heirs, and the intention was to have them rule together. Sure. That has never happened. (laughs) It actually does happen later on in Rome, but it's not like two boys who grew up into this position. It's, It's very much like two men who understand Rome is huge at this point. Yeah. And we need to rule together it just makes sense but that's that's way down the line <laughs> that's obviously not gonna happen here <laughs> uh, I, spoiler alert i didn't know that until you just said it everything. <laughs> yeah sorry spoiler alert <laughs> britannicus doesn't end very well oh no <laughs> with a name like britannicus really <laughs> so agrippina wasn't done consolidating power Sometime in early 49 CE, Agrippina was officially afforded the title of Augusta. 
This probably seems like nothing to us, but she was effectively afforded the feminized title of Augustus, who had been the now deified first emperor of Rome. Only two other women before Agrippina were given this title, and it was always after their illustrious husbands died and they were in the last bloom of life. Agrippina was 35 and in a position of power where that title could be put on display. It essentially elevated her to a status equal to Claudius, and for the first time ever, a woman was afforded a public role in Roman society. She had effectively stepped out of the feminine domain of domesticity and into one that was wholly masculine, where she received clients and petitioners alongside her husband in public. It was simply unheard of, and it had never been done before. How dare she <laughs> receive clients it's and petitioners? It's so funny. A lot, of, a lot of this is literally, we're like, why is that a big deal? But like, again, women just weren't. But again, men are having nightmares of Agrippina coming out of the bed with her masculine face. Because women just weren't seen um, performing public roles like this ever. Yes. Well, no, she didn't have any women. Remember, that was what made her so terrifying. (laughs) She's just this, like, stoic, cold woman now. Very masculine in her lack of emotions. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Agrippina also elevated the colony where she was where she had been born to the status of a city and had the name changed to Colonia Agrippinensis. God bless you. I appreciate you for saying these Roman names. I think it's Agrippinensis. Yeah. Like sea anemone. Yes. She had a city named after herself. And um, so this city would later go on to function as the capital of the Roman province of Germania and served as a shining example to all the uncultured cities around it of how great it was to be a Roman. I love how she named a city after herself, after all these people are naming their kids after the right? cities they conquered. She's like, I'm just going to... I just want the city. I just want the city. <laughs> so that city still exists today, wow. and it is known as the city of Cologne in Germany. Why they change it? Yep. They shortened it. So it was Colonia Agrippinensis or whatever. And they just shortened it to Cologne. Did they shorten it because it's hard to say? Because that sounds right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no one's going to be able to do this. <laughs> Her final act of solidifying power was to be afforded potestas, which is essentially the Roman equivalent of being able to exercise power without having to rely on someone else to ask for the deed to be done. What this essentially meant was that Agrippina no longer had to rely on people like Pallas or Ventilius to voice her requests on the Senate floor. She did not need to whisper in her husband's ear a desired political outcome during pillow talk. I can just see her whispering really, like, like stage whispering, like, babe, if you do this! <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but also, who's giving her all this power? Because aren't they afraid of her? My voice got very, very so, the way you have to understand it is the people of Rome love the, the plebeians, the plebs, the plebs, the plebs, the plebs, where that comes from, <laughs> the commons. They love her. Yeah. Um, the Senate is scared, but she's already got some allies within the Senate. The big thing here is Claudius is letting her do it. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think Claudius is letting her do it. I think she's making Claudius do it. She's like, Claudius, honey, look at my eyes. There's murder there. <laughs> Either way, this all happened because he said it. Yeah. He allowed it. He okay. didn't get in the way of it. Because okay. he's also scared of his wife slash niece. Probably <laughs> his niece wife. <laughs> the next three years of Claudius and Agrippina's reign was marked by zero resistance. Everything seemed to be going well within the empire, and Agrippina continued to work tirelessly to strengthen her son's position in the line of succession. 
The sources all agree that the period precluding Claudius's marriage to Agrippina was much like the general unrest that marked the violent reigns of Caligula and Tiberius. As previously mentioned, fewer political rivals were executed. It appears that Agrippina employed a more delicate touch when it came to handling potential enemies. Rather than outright murder members of the household she did not trust, she convinced Claudius to grant them a promotion that involved sending them off to one of the wealthy provinces outside of Rome, where they'd be too busy to stir up trouble for the imperial court. And in return, like they got to increase their own power and it brought them wealth. Yes. So they weren't exactly like displeased. But they, yeah. She then replaced them with her own people. It was a savvy move. Rome finally had peace. Agrippina had her people in place in the palace, and she managed to get rid of people she didn't like without nicking off any heads and angry family members that might potentially seek retribution in the future. <laughs> Turns out she was really fucking intelligent. Yeah, weird how that works. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope someone who's jumping all of these hurdles is intelligent as fuck. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> doesn't just happen by, by sheer luck. <laughs> no, nothing nothing of this is luck. This is all Aquapina <laughs> at this point, yes. <laughs> in 54 CE, Nero was officially introduced into public Roman society in what would have been their equivalent of a cotillion and received his first toga virilis, which is effectively his first adult toga. So children basically had a toga and it had a purple stripe. Mm -hmm. And then the adult toga was just the full plain white toga. So he had, he had his purple stripe removed. Oh, look at you go. <laughs> I would have laughed on my keep the stripes cool. <laughs> this transition from boyhood to manhood was marked by a ceremony in front of the Senate and all of Rome at the Forum of Augustus, where he was officially recognized as an adult Roman citizen and unofficially recognized as the designated heir to Claudius. From here on out, statues of Nero were commissioned. And with each statue that was erected, the dominant narrative attached to each statue was the, fact, was the fact that he was first the natural born son of the divine Agrippina, and second, the adopted son of that silly Claudius dude. That other guy <laughs> that she's married to, who's also her uncle. Who's also the emperor. Also <laughs> yeah, him. Oh, yeah, him. <laughs> Britannicus is eight at this point, and Nero is 13. Britannicus <laughs> is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> So Nero is 13 when he receives his first big boy toga. <laughs> and while, while only five years separated them, Nero was now viewed in Roman society as an adult. And an adult would have a more viable claim in the succession. The optics were very deliberate here. To help drive the nail in the coffin on who Claudius' successor would be, Nero was made a consul designate which promised him a consul position when he turned 19 and given the title of Princeps Inventitus, which meant Prince of the Youths. Oh, sounds like a man. <laughs> By the age of 15, he was taking on the responsibility of his titles in all earnest and hearing petitions and ruling in cases brought before him. How fucking ridiculous would you feel to have to bring something to the people or the, the important people and you're like, this kid. Well, there. imagine being a 15-year-old <laughs> kid who has to like, sit all day listening to people drone about their cow that was stolen. I feel worse for the poor guy who just got his cow stolen. He's like, that's a fucking kid. Like, he doesn't know. Can I talk to the adult here? <laughs> it was quite a lot to throw on the shoulders of a young Roman boy. And if you think 
that all these titles and statues are going to go to his head, you'd be absolutely oh, correct. Fucking shit. <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit, though. In 53 CE, Claudius had become ill and retreated from the public eye for a little bit. So it appears that Claudius had some sort of affliction before he had become emperor kind of his whole entire life. Suetonius notes that Claudius had weak knees that often gave out from under him, and he occasionally stammered and slobbered. These symptoms apparently worsened whenever he was agitated, and historians have speculated everything from polio to cerebral palsy to Tourette's syndrome. Whether or not his lifelong affliction flared up in 53 CE or not, we can't say for certain. But while he was ill that year, Agrippina and Nero stepped in to assume the emperor's public duties. They even put on several games for the Roman public in honor of their emperor and to bring him good health again. It was an opportunity for Agrippina to finally step out on her own without the emperor at her side and for Nero to prove that he too could rule when the time came. In that same year, Nero also officially married his stepsister, Octavia. And yes, the Romans still consider this incest. So in order to skirt around the incest issue... What new law are they going to come up with now? <laughs> Agrippina and Claudius had Octavia officially adopted outside of the family so that she could marry back into that the family. That doesn't fucking work like that! <laughs> it apparently did in Rome. Adoption doesn't trump bloodline! <laughs> well, okay, so that's... No, don't well okay Cousins <laughs> wasn't the issue. It was the step-sibling thing. I'm sorry. Step siblings wasn't an issue, or was an issue, but cousins, however many times removed, was. Oh yeah, because law. It's Rome. The dumb, <laughs> made-up law that happened on the staircase. Octavia is thirteen at this point. Oh. So why have Nero? Wasn't she 10 before? Yeah, she's thirteen okay. now. Uh, <laughs> There've been a couple of years. Yeah, children like age and shit. <laughs> so why have Nero marry his stepsister? For one. It helps cement Nero's position as the emperor's successor. As previously mentioned, son-in-laws were viewed as being almost as legitimate as actual sons, and definitely more legitimate than stepsons. Nero also technically has more royal blood through Agrippina, because she was the direct blood descendant of Emperor Augustus. That meant, in a weird roundabout way, he was actually more legitimate than Claudius. And Claudius had already witnessed Rome get all stabby-stabby with his predecessor when they decided they'd had enough of Caligula's bullshit. So in another strange, weird, and icky way, having Nero marry Claudius's daughter also helps further stabilize Claudius's claim as well. I love how they're like, oh, they have to be more legitimate. Like, all you have to do is spin the right story and they're more legitimate. Well, there you go. That's what they did. We just spun the tale. He's more legitimate. We literally just decided that uncles and nieces could marry and it's not incest. God. (laughs) If you are at all curious to know what Octavia thought of the whole thing, we sadly don't have much from the histories other than the fact that she and her stepbrother husband hated one another. Say no one cares what she thought. I mean, we do, but no one cares what she. No one cares. Yeah, it's Octavia's a sad story. She's also in the shadow of Agrippina. If you know anything about Nero, you probably don't need me to tell you that it doesn't end well for her. But more on that later as well. Aside from doing everything in her power to maneuver her son to the head of the line of succession, we hear of Agrippina integrating herself directly into senatorial politics and intervening on behalf of foreign disputes. 
When it came to the Senate, Agrippina made sure to create her own network of sympathizing senators. The senatorial class was incestuous in its own right, with several members marrying off their daughters and granddaughters to each other in order to create alliances that would ensure certain factions would vote a certain way. The only way for Agrippina to get her agenda passed on the Senate floor was to secure an alliance with men that would speak for her. And she did this by negotiating marriage alliances, senatorial advancements, and other various favors. Tacitus likes to remind us that Agrippina acts for singularly selfish reasons and to advance her own power, and he is probably right in that assumption, but she was acting no different from any other man that did the same thing. Yeah, but she's supposed to be a woman with womanly wives. Well, she's it's supposed to be- It's not natural ritual. She's just not supposed to do this in public. <laughs> what? It's, literally... it's fine if you do it like whisper, whisper, whisper. Yeah. But when you do it, she's screaming from the top right of everybody. <laughs> yes, she was an abomination. <laughs> they will call the church. If the men find out we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church. <laughs> I miss Sailor J. She's Me cool. <laughs> Agrippina also intervened during a conflict that rose up in the province of Judea. At this point, Rome had officially integrated Judea into the Roman Empire, but largely regarded the region as an annoyance full of disheveled and superstitious foreigners. This is a time of major strife in Jerusalem. We don't have the time to get into the nitty-gritty details of the incident that occurred, but it involved Romans being deliberately disrespectful in the Second Temple of Jerusalem, the Jewish population rising up and rioting against the Romans, and a lot of murder in the streets. The volatile situation escalated when a Jewish pilgrim was attacked by neighboring Samaritans, well, en route to Jerusalem. The Jewish population raised a militia in response and marched on the towns in Samaria. It caused enough trouble to finally get the emperor of Rome involved. Agrippina intervened to speak to the defense of the Jews while her old rival Narcissus and his coalition came to the defense of the Samaritans. None of the Roman nobles were particularly sympathetic towards the Jewish cause, and this included Agrippina, but she and Narcissus were motivated more by palace politics than anything else. Right. <laughs> if Agrippina sympathized with the Jews, then obviously Narcissus had to support the opposing, opposing faction. And <laughs> like today's politics. <laughs> yes, nobody actually cares about anything. <laughs> In the end, Agrippina's will won out because Claudius sided with the Jews and had a Roman soldier publicly executed as a conciliatory act and a rare show of public accountability. Afterwards, Agrippina had the brother of her ally, Pallas, installed to oversee Judea afterwards and keep an eye on the region to prevent any more unrest. And for what it's worth, that appointment was a success for the duration Agrippina remained alive, suggesting she may have given Pallas's brother instruction on how to manage the region. After she dies, everything goes to shit in Judea. Uh-oh. That's, uh, this is where you really start to get the, um, the Jewish uprising yeah. in Jerusalem and the Romans are awful to them. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> the Romans are awful to everyone. Yes. <laughs> they have a firm boot put on everybody's neck. Yeah. So another fun random note, Pallas's brother started minting coins of Agrippina's face in Judea after that point. I'll just do that. <laughs> Lest anyone forget who was responsible for peace there. 
And for the duration of Claudius's reign, she continued to intervene in just about every aspect of Roman political life, refusing to be relegated to the status of an ornamental wife. Emma Sutton suggests that Agrippina deliberately crafted a more masculine image of herself to fend off detractors, othering herself in much the same manner Margaret Thatcher did when she was the Prime Minister of England. It's kind of like that whole, I'm not like the other girls trope. <laughs> and perhaps this is the image of Agrippina history would have remembered if it weren't for the unfortunate manner of Claudius's eventual death. Uh-uh. Perhaps she would have been remembered as something more akin to the Iron Woman we remember Empress Matilda for, rather than the conniving and manipulative she-wolf we see with Isabella of France when she usurped the throne from her husband in England. Except if the stories are to be believed, Agrippina ends up doing the deed herself. Oh, no shit, of course she's going to. (laughs) Yeah. Our third co-host finally speaks. I deign to speak. (laughs) Now, for the first five years of their marriage, it seems like Claudius and Agrippina had a pretty decent working relationship. He has never once raised any alarm at the fact that his wife intervened publicly in political matters and goes along peacefully with every effort made to make Nero his successor over his own natural-born son, Britannicus. Some of the sources suggest that Claudius was just too dumb to realize what was going on. Oh, no! But I think that gives Agrippina a little more credit than she deserves, and it absolves Claudius of his responsibility a little too conveniently. If Tacitus is to be believed, the thing that tips Claudius off to his wife's misdeeds is when she has Britannicus's grandmother, Lepida, executed in 59 CE. Oh, no. The sources say that Agrippina had her murdered because she was attempting to poison Nero against her. But there's... Other evidence suggests that Lepida was actually training a slave army to stir up trouble in Rome. That's a very aggressive uh, spectrum. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, She could have been doing this, but also she could have been forming a slave army. It's so likely <laughs> that she was doing both, but one is more dramatic than the other. Yeah. But uh, it's entirely possible that Agrippina was just sending off another potential slave uprising. Um, the stories of Spartacus's slave uprisings are only about 100 years old at this point. Oh. Either way, the stories around this murder are murky at best. But apparently it was the thing that suddenly put a shiver down Dopey Claudius's spine. Dopey Claudius. <laughs> <laughs> and in the final months of his life on this earth, he suddenly remembered Britannicus was his son and that he had rights and stuff. He's like, oh yeah, that one. The story itself of how this all happened is equally murky and convoluted. One interesting fact is that it involved the world's first known serial killer, a woman by the name of Lacusta. Lacusta had been a notorious poison maker that was active all the way back during Tiberius's reign. The highest number of victims I've seen has been inflated, but suggests she killed into the thousands. Dang! Yeah. <laughs> like, she she made the poison? She made the poisons, and then the... The person administered them. Yeah, like, essentially, the Roman Senate knew where to go to get their poisons. Oh, shit. Yes. I want to be that person. Can I be that person? Sure. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm adding to my end game, which at the edge of the woods that everyone's scared of, but also kind of wants to meet. And poison maker. But you also have to dare to meet me because I make your poisons. <laughs> According to the story, Lacusta had already been imprisoned on poisoning charges when Agrippina found her, 
Thor thinks heavily of that. <laughs> and she hired Lacusta to, po- to poison her husband. Lacusta allegedly produced a powder that would be slow-acting and difficult to detect when used in the Emperor's food. Everything's difficult to detect because there's no science. <laughs> Depending on which version you believe, it was either Claudius's taster that sprinkled the poison on some mushrooms and okay. served it to the Emperor, or it was Agrippina herself that poisoned the food. I like the taster the taster because he's just like, fuck you, I ain't even doing my job now, I'll make it bad. <laughs> um, make it rain, powder. So, if you're at all curious what the poison was, it was allegedly from the belladonna plant, a.k.a. Deadly Nightshade. Yes. Yeah. You do not come back from that. No. <laughs> you do not. No. <laughs> Claudius's death is completely dramatized in all the sources. Some How is sus- death dramatized? Well, you're about to find oh, out. Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you're talking. <laughs> Some I'm suggest- glad you're here, Rachel. <laughs> Some suggest that he did not die right away, and so a doctor had to inject him with a second dose of the belladonna with a syringe. Excuse me? Others suggest that Agrippina stepped in, noticing he was sick, and said, here, use this feather to help induce vomit so you can throw up whatever makes Excuse you sick. Excuse me? How does a feather... Do you just, like... Oh, yeah. You stick it down your throat? Yeah. And apparently, <laughs> in some of the stories, she puts the poison on the feather, too, to, like... It's your medication. The one common denominator in all these crazy stories is that they all center around the same culprit, Agrippina. Oh yeah, because everyone is scared of her. Well, we can't discredit the fact that the timing was suspect. Britannicus was 13 at this point, the same age Nero had been when he received his big boy toga. And Claudius was starting to show an interest in him and making silly claims of his natural-born son being the true prince of Rome. Agrippina's just like, no, 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 focus here, over here, Claudius. <laughs> there was also the fact that Claudius had recently updated his will, and immediately after his death, Agrippina had it retrieved and whisked away to somewhere. Oh no, it's on fire! <laughs> its contents never saw the light of day. So, yes. Agrippina probably poisoned her husband slash uncle. Or maybe not. Ew. But probably. But most likely, yeah. You can't know for sure. It's like 95%. <laughs> she more than likely did. <laughs> now, no story of an emperor being murdered by his black widow wife would be complete without natural disaster striking the city the second he kicked the bucket. Tacitus wrote of a swarm of bees invading the city following Claudius's death, along with fire striking soldiers' tents from the heavens to cause a massive inferno. So, like, lightning? Yes. <laughs> and then again, everything just burst into flame. Fine. Suetonius marks his death with a comet appearing in the sky and lightning striking the tomb of Claudius's father. It's all terribly dramatic, and no doubt these stories were added in after the fact to suggest the heavens were sending literal omens to warn of the next terrible emperor about to ascend to the throne. Oh, I mean, those omens aren't wrong. (laughs) No, I can't even argue this. I can't even be like, nature does this shit every day. It's fine. (laughs) For my part, I have my own headcanon that dramatizes the moment that Claudius's last breath left his body. And it goes something like this. I'm excited for this. Agrippina observed a long moment of shocked silence before retrieving the laurel diadem from her dead husband's head and stares at it, the power of the Roman Empire in her hands, power that her family died for. 
power that she tirelessly strived for years to attain and secure, power that was, by rights, hers. And then I imagine that it is Agrippina herself that turns to Nero and places the laurel diadem on his head. It will be the last time they look at one another as mother and son. She brushes a robe strand of hair out of his face. This boy, her boy, is about to be the emperor because of her, because of Agrippina. And now the power passes from her to him. It's very dramatic. I got chills. <laughs> and then the moment passes and Agrippina sets off to work. Yes. I like that. That was good. Immediately. Very, visual, very visualistically beautiful. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, the song, um, It's Got My Name on It. <laughs> yes. I, I'm just like imagining that, just her looking at it like, I imagine an entirely different song, but now that you say it. <laughs> and now I'm putting it on. Yes. <laughs> Immediately following Claudius's death, Agrippina had the palace shut down. She did not inform the Senate or the public right away of Claudius's death. It's entirely possible that she did this because it was the decisive thing to do while she made plans to ensure with absolute certainty that her son would be named the next emperor. Britannicus was confined in his room during all of this. He is not harmed. Either way, with the deed done, it was only a matter of hours before the new regime was in place. Claudius had died on October 13, 54 CE, at the age of 63. That same day, the Praetorian Guard lined up outside the Imperial Palace to introduce the new emperor to a crowd of curious Romans. They had gathered in anticipation of news on the emperor's health. Instead of Claudius, a 17-year-old Nero emerges. The Praetorian Guard confirms him as the new emperor. Agrippina's lifelong goal has finally been realized. Her son is the emperor of Rome, and she is now the emperor's mother. She is 39 years old. I love how crazy it is. So you think about a king dying and that's like a pretty, a pretty like substantial affair. I mean, for the Mm -hmm. whole country, but it's still overshadowed by that like brief Mm -hmm. pause where it's like, everyone's holding their breath because to see where everyone's scheming and everyone's, you know, like your body isn't even cold and your people She shut down the palace. Yeah. She did not inform the Senate what was going on. That's so crazy though. Like, like you literally died. It's like, oh shit, he did. Okay, but guys, now. She's like, he's dead and we can't let anyone know until I have everything in place to secure Nero's succession. Can you just imagine that, like, That's why I'm like, she took took that moment to stare at the laurel diadem. Yeah. That very brief moment of silence, it's probably, like, the eye of the storm, the calm before everything goes down. And then she's like, okay, time to get to work. Yeah. We're not done here. I think about what else I have to do. In The White Queen, when Edward dies, it's like, it's that moment of, like, oh, everyone's sad, but it lasts yeah. Five seconds before everyone turns on each other. Yes. And you're just like, holy shit! <laughs> and Agrippina didn't wait for anyone yeah. to escape the palace. She's like, nope, we're doing this now. We're doing this now. It's happening. <laughs> not letting this be up in the air. Oh, gosh. Contemporaries of the time did not know him as Nero. He was born as Lucius Domitius Anobarbus. Wow. <laughs> it was fine until Anobarbus. I had to that name so many times because I was like, there's no way I'm saying this right. This sounds wrong. <laughs> Nero was the name given to him after the fact. When he oh, was born. Oh, just stay with the five names you already have. When he was born, his father famously said, nothing but that what was accursed and detestable could ever be produced from myself and Agrippina. Whoa. This had been Agrippina's first husband, Domitius. 
the one that everyone in history agrees is very awful and terrible, even for Roman standards, remember? But yeah, you don't just say that. Just... Well, yeah, he basically said that both he and Agrippina were, were such terrible humans that nothing born <laughs> of their union could ever bring anything good to the he world. He wasn't wrong, though. No, he was I not. I have to say that. <laughs> good call, dude. So Nero will go on to become the most notorious emperor in all of Rome. Similar to his uncle Caligula, he'll go on a murder, he'll go on to murder a bunch of people. There will be absurd accusations made against him and Agrippina, suggesting that they had an incestuous relationship. The chief amongst all the accusations made against Nero was the fact that he loved theater and he loved performing. To us, this may sound absurd, but to I was like, Rome, yeah, that sounds like fun, like my kind of guy. Well, in Rome, it was an aberration. Masculine Roman men only had two avenues for earning respect and glory. They were either soldiers or they were politicians. Nero had been thrust into the realm of politics as a teenager, and it seems that by the time he ascended to the throne, he was already bored of ruling. He had absolutely no interest in running the empire. He's the smartest person of us all. (laughs) I know I can't say that about Nero, but in... In light of this, where we're at right now. So, in his early years as emperor, he's known for getting drunk often and starting brawls with random people in the streets of Rome. Can you imagine the emperor just throwing fists at you? <laughs> like, do, do I punch back or will I die? Even more horrifically, he often participated in theater troops himself. The Romans hated theater and entertainment. Really? Well, not that they hated it, but it was more to them. They viewed it was it, the idiots of the time who did that, not anybody respectfully. It, it's more they viewed it as a form of selling your body, much the same way of like prostituting, yeah, yourself. Um, so it was it was considered demeaning and degrading. And all wow. Nero seemed to really care about was the pageantry and putting on a good show. His mother had spent her entire life scheming and manipulating to get him on the imperial throne, and by the time he was there, it just seemed like he had no interest. I was, I'm going to say, like, isn't ruling literally the same thing? <laughs> Putting on a good show? Yeah, but you don't go start. You don't go start street fights, and more Why importantly, like you didn't Henry you can't the, be an actor. Didn't Henry the, who was? The one that was very, very drunk all the time, but he, like, turned Henry it around a second. Yeah. Henry V. Henry V. He, yeah. He was a drunkard and an idiot, but he turned he turned it around, like, when he, he turned it around. Or, or, <laughs> he became <laughs> the king of England. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Nero didn't, though. That was yeah. the thing. Oh, okay. So the changeover of power, surprisingly, went pretty smoothly. Nero made sure to pay the Praetorian Guard and the Senate in equal amounts, likely under Agrippina's counsel. Um, she would have been aware of what happened to Claudius when he took the throne and the fact that he basically had to pay the Praetorian Guard to bully the Senate. So she knew it would have better optics if you paid them both equally. So you literally have yeah. no one going against you. Well, in this for this reason. <laughs> yes. There's a long list that you have to check off. <laughs> a few moves were made quietly, however, presumably by Agrippina, to remove any potential resistance to Nero's reign. First, she had the preconsul of Asia assassinated because he had a similar blood claim to the imperial throne through Augustus that oh. she and Nero had. Oh my god, you can't just kill someone because of that. Well, so he had a similar Your blood, blood claim. Your blood is my blood, so obviously we can't be in the same realm. Yes. Jesus. 
on top of that, he was older and he was already established as like a pretty sufficient Roman general. Yeah. So she could not have him around. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> the second movie. Weren't made, you the person who like sent everyone off? Like, go get this promotion out there. Yeah, but this one could come back and haunt her, so right. she killed him. <laughs> She's like, let's just cut to the chase. The second move was on her long-standing political enemy, Narcissus. He had been out of the city, um, exiled by Agrippina, and he returned to Rome upon hearing of Claudius's death. And he you was, can't just return. You got exiled, dude. He, yeah, this was kind of stupid on his part. He was <laughs> rewarded for his loyalty by being imprisoned and then later murdered. That's not loyalty. You were exiled. <laughs> well, he he loved Claudius so much he had to come back for the funeral. And then he you don't have to come back um, publicly. You can come back and like <laughs> hide with your like, little cape, like and... your little Assassin's Creed cape, and like, yeah, just, just pop around. Yeah, like on the rooftop. rooftop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He didn't do that. What an idiot! You <laughs> passed up the opportunity to wear your Assassin's Creed cape, <laughs> your Magister's cape. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? <laughs> After that, Agrippina set off to plan Claudius's funeral procession. In an act, do you, did you look at the text I sent you about this? So if you didn't send me a text, I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, Whatever. What you send me? Out, I just sent you a picture of the page I was reading describing Claudius's funeral. You might have sent that. <laughs> <laughs> so in an act that was a very obvious callback to Augustus's epic funeral procession, Claudius's body was carried at the head of what essentially amounts to a huge street parade. Following the emperor were leading members of the Senate and a series of life-size effigies made of the former emperor. One was dressed in triumphal gear, one was made entirely of gold, and a third last figure was also made in the dead emperor's image. Mixed within the crowd were actors wearing the death masks of Claudius's ancestors. When the procession ended, Nero gave the eulogy for his dead stepfather, and then, finally, Claudius's pyre was set on fire. All right, so I arrived. Ah! I see what you did there. Um, I've got additions to when I die. <laughs> Before you burn me, before you throw me into the ocean, I would like a weird death parade. <laughs> I will find that. The, the creepiest death mask possible. I want weird Everyone shit happening in the crowd. In the crowd with yeah. the throwing their batons yeah. of fire. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. That's, that's all I want, Rachel. Claudius was an unremarkable man in life, all the sources agree, but one that earned deification, if only because his now widowed wife understood the importance of good PR. Yeah, there, everyone <laughs> in her family got a weird death parade party. <laughs> Claudius was deified as Augustus had been. The Romans liked to do this. They deify their dead a lot. But this was less about celebrating the man's accomplishments and more about securing Agrippina's power. Oh by deifying her dead husband, this now made her the living widow of a god. Stop! You already are the born of the gods or whatever the fuck. <laughs> she goes on to name herself as the priestess of the new uh, Church of Claudius. That's weird and cult-ish. And <laughs> well, it's I'm here for it, expect? so... <laughs> Rachel, one more addition. You want me to be your priestess? Please. <laughs> Gladly. But you have to wear, like, the coolest head robe. It'll be thing. like a headdress bigger than I am. No, no, no. I don't want some Dauphin thing. <laughs> or what was it? Double-handed. I don't want a double-handed thing. <laughs> I just imagine this like crown of crystals like and like okay, Medusa crystals. snakes 
thing. All right, that could work. Yeah, yeah. Do 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 Okay, you guys. <laughs> Weird side note: When I was editing the last episode, I almost died laughing because we did that. Uh... <laughs> it was just so perfect. Anyway, continue. Just wanted to, you know, point out the fact that we're awesome <laughs> in every way. Absolutely. <laughs> Once that was done, it was back to business as usual. Nero and Agrippina had an empire to run, after all. They had an affair to carry on, too, apparently. (laughs) They didn't. I know. (laughs) Everyone says so, but no. (laughs) In the beginning, it was pretty good. Nero seemed to have little interest in actually handling the day-to-day business of running an empire. Not surprising, considering he was still a 17-year-old boy. And so, like, I just want to drink and have, make brawls. Okay, I just want to do that. That's I want to dress up and wear wigs. It's oh fine. yeah, I want to do theater too. And so he left the boring administrative stuff to Agrippina. As one should. From this point on, Agrippina starts to physically listen in on Senate meetings. This was a startling new development, as women were completely barred from entering the Senate building. But in the instances when the Senate held its meetings outside of the Curia Julia, Senate building name. Mm-hmm. Um, or they conducted business in the palace, Agrippina actually sat on the floor, usually in a vestibule behind a curtain. I was going to say, well, that's their fault for not holding it in the building that she's banned from. (laughs) I mean, she basically made it so they had to do it so she could attend. Always behind a curtain, though, because you can't actually see her because she's a woman. (laughs) She has boobs and stuff, okay? It would be distracting. It's a curse to listen, but if you listen behind a a veil, it's fine. (laughs) What? (laughs) So I can't stress how big of a deal this was. No woman in the history of Rome had ever attended Senate meetings up to this point. And I'm fairly certain that no woman would ever again do so after her. Hell yeah. Her presence would have been known, which meant that the Senate had to be extra vigilant when voting on a piece of legislation put forth by the emperor's mother. There'd be no excuse if they voted against one of her interests because Agrippina was now present to hear the verdict herself. She peeks out behind the curtain. Excuse the fuck out of me. Are you voting no? No, ma'am, I'm not. And just as Caligula and Claudius had included Agrippina on coins, her face started to appear on coinage with Nero as well. I'm looking at a picture of the coinage and it's awkward because they look like they're about to make out. So I can see where those rumors may have started. So... So the reason Rachel, for can that, we stare at each other like that. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> I thought you were going to get close to me, and I was like, I changed my mind. <laughs> so with Caligula, she had appeared on the back of the coins with her sisters. With Claudius, I didn't include this, but they're basically side by side, and you see her face kind of behind his. Yeah. And then on Nero's coins, they're facing each other, and it's essentially a blatant symbol to Ro- to the Roman Empire. Um, the she fact that. Yeah, she's, the empire is run equally by the emperor and his mother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sounds right. (laughs) In the city of Aphrodisius, which was founded in the Roman province of Caria. Not Caria. Nope. Yep. (laughs) Or Asia. Um, Same as Artemisia. That whole area. Hey, girl. They set to work on carving a new statue of the empress in Nero. The statue shows Agrippina dressed as the goddess Demeter, holding a cornucopia on one hand while placing the laurel crown on Nero's head. This was a stark detraction from most statues made of the emperors being crowned. In those statues, it was the goddess of Rome that crowns the emperor as a representation of the Senate and the people of Rome. The message here is clear. 
Nero's power was not given to him by Rome. It was given to him by his mother, and everyone knew it. Well, yeah, everyone should know it. I mean, shit, she worked hard enough. But also, don't get me wrong, I am in love with Roman and Greek sculptures like that, and architecture and all that stuff, but how much fucking time was wasted doing the same person over and over um sculpting (laughs) the same person over and over and they're like another one he's had he's got like 50 this week (laughs) well yeah that's how they showed their importance they just crafted all these yeah have you ever have you ever been to the uh what's called getty villa or something like that in uh santa Monica? yeah the getty on that hill yeah Yeah, it's beautiful awkward hill scary when you're in a car you look outside the getty and um so if you're ever in california if you're ever like near malibu or santa monica you can go visit the getty and when you're outside looking at the cityscape you can literally see the line where the smog starts and it's so gross yeah. <laughs> but yeah i really like it's the getty villa it's very it's very beautiful it so is if you never get a chance and you really like roman greek yeah the whole museum art. itself is like yeah. one giant roman building let's go well, it's free to get in. Okay. Fuck yeah. Okay, sorry. We're making fights, guys. <laughs> I would love to go back there. <laughs> and for a while, even Nero didn't seem to mind all that much that his mother was calling the shots and the whole the whole of Rome seemed to know it. But of course, it couldn't last. Well, yeah, because he's like, you call the shots. I'm going to go be in this play. Works out great. <laughs> Tell me when you need me to smile for a sculpture. <laughs> Agrippina had devoted her entire life to putting her son on the imperial throne. And he's being a little shit about it. <laughs> she made sure to remove any potential obstacle that stood in his way, including the husband that helped secure Nero's role in the line of succession, only to supposedly waver at the very end. And she installed her own people in positions of power close to Nero, believing them to be loyal to her. That would be her downfall. Uh-oh. The two men that would go on to actively work against Agrippina through Nero were Seneca and Burrus. You'll remember from our last Agrippina episode that Seneca was briefly mentioned after having been accused of having an affair with her sister Lavilla by Messalina. Agrippina had been directly responsible for recalling Seneca back from exile, and she made him Nero's tutor. She was also directly responsible for his life and his position within the imperial court. And she fully expected that this meant he would stay loyal to her because he owed her everything that he had, which he did. Let's not forget that. Yeah, but no one, everyone forgets their loyalties the second it's inconvenient for them to be loyal. Well, the problem with Seneca was that even though he technically owed everything to her, he was still grossly misogynistic. And he apparently hated her late husband as well, believing Claudius to be incompetent and ineffective. The complaints that Claudius were ruled by women and the freedmen in his life all start with Seneca. And this is the criticism that later historians like Tacitus and Suetonius ran with and why we get the story of Agrippina being a ball buster all the way up to present day. Thanks for that, Seneca. She should have just left you on that stupid island. Right? You're fucking welcome! The other one was Burrus, who had been a soldier that had been elevated to a Praetorian prefect upon Nero's ascension, and this had been on Agrippina's orders. He, too, owed both his power and his position to Agrippina. The first indication that Agrippina's public role in the empire was about to change came during the Armenian delegation. The reason for the delegation is long, and I'm going to do a gross injustice to the whole situation by trying to summarize it, 
by trying to summarize it in all one sentence. Is it Armenian or Armenian? I both are probably right. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Basically, Armenia stood dead center between the Roman and Parthian empires. Um, It kind of served as a buffer province, so like nobody messed with Armenia because that meant Rome stayed away from Parthia. Parthia stayed away from Rome. Um, In theory, that's how it's supposed to work. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) When conflict erupted in Armenia, it was the first diplomatic test for Europe. Um, So basically, everyone was in a room. Agrippina entered the room hosting the Armenian delegates, and she came in after Nero, Seneca, and Burris. Um, This wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for Agrippina. I didn't really talk about it too much, but while she was with Claudius, any time they made a public appearance, um, they both had their own dais, but she was essentially there with the emperor just on a separate dais. It was a huge deal at the time, but by now everyone in Rome was used to it. (laughs) The big faux pas that was made this time was that Agrippina moved directly towards Nero's dais to sit next to him. Uh, excuse me. You can't just do that. <laughs> There's like some poor cleric. He's like, no, 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 no. Okay. Well, this time it was Seneca and he came in and basically whispered very loudly, like, you can't let your mother do this. Stage whisper. <laughs> Agrippina was not Nero's equal. She had overstepped in this instance, and Seneca, in front of everyone, instructed Nero to escort his mother away. Oh, snap. I can only imagine how... I can only imagine the laser beam I she puts on him. And infuriating that must have been for her. But he did. And as we'll find out, Nero is often incapable of acting without someone explicitly instructing him to do so. Oh, no. Agrippina anticipated that she would be the one doing the instructing. This had been the case with Claudius, and perhaps she had grown so accustomed to her power going unobstructed because Claudius allowed it that she never once questioned the idea that her son might be different. From this moment on, Agrippina will never receive imperial delegates with Nero ever again. It must have been a severe blow to her ego, not to mention a slap in the face. Her power as a woman, no matter how good at it she was, so relied on the acceptance of the men around her. Men that owed their good fortunes almost exclusively to her. The fucking irony of it all. I fucking, I hate Seneca. Like, I just call him stupid Seneca in my notes now. Basically, I think I hated more than Stephen of Law. (laughs) (gasps) What? Yes. (laughs) In the end, because stupid Seneca and Burris had been placed around Nero early on, they had grown to become his friends as well as his advisors. And so it became a power struggle between the emperor's cool, level-headed dude bro friends dude and bro. his <laughs> devious, murderous, hot-headed mother. Who got you your fucking seat <laughs> on the fucking throne? You ungrateful swine! <laughs> it was the old conservative power of Rome that wanted to preserve traditional gender roles versus the more progressive Rome Agrippina tried to craft with her own well-manicured hands that allowed space for women to operate publicly. Were her hands well-manicured? Because she seemed like she didn't want to be very womanly. (laughs) She still had slaves. They're still going to attend to her and make sure she's pretty. Want to be my nose? No. (laughs) (laughs) There was also something else going on. Nero was now 18. Forgetting for a moment... It's only been a year. Yes. (laughs) Forgetting for a moment that he was the emperor of Rome, he is still a teenage boy that has been under the domineering shadow of his mother for years. 
And at some point, we all want to break away from our domineering mothers. Seneca and Burris were said to indulge his every whim. This will go on to be very problematic later on down the road when Agrippina is no longer in the picture. Again, more on that later. (laughs) Not that any of the Roman sources would ever make that very obvious connection. As previously mentioned, Nero and his stepsister wife, Octavia, hated one another. We haven't heard very much about her up to this point because she made it a point to be very far away from her stepbrother husband. I forgot about her, to be honest. Yeah, and she she just she hated being being around him. She basically just lived in a villa far away from him. It sounds great. Avoided him at all costs. Sounds like the perfect marriage. In her absence, Nero had developed affections for an ex-slave girl named Opte. Now, having sexual relations with slaves and ex-slaves is not outside the norm for emperors, and would not have been an issue if not for the fact that he actually seemed to like her. So basically, if you had multiple slave girls that you slept with, it was fine. But because he had a favorite, it was a problem. That's the most disgusting thing you said on this podcast. You said a lot of disgusting things. I know. I'm, <laughs> it, this isn't coming from me. This I is know. Me. It's all very repulsive. Rome is gross, okay? Yes. yes. Rome is whack. Rome is whack. <laughs> For all the kids out. It probably wouldn't have been much of an issue for Agrippina either if Nero still managed to find some time for his actual wife. But the stories all devolve into a wife that's in the like villa across the way. Yeah, she wanted him to make babies with his actual oh, wife. Yeah, I forgot that was the thing. <laughs> kind of need. <laughs> yeah, an heir. Kevin need an heir, asshole. So the stories all devolve into an obnoxious teenage angst story of a boy emperor desperate to rid himself of his hated stepsister wife to be with the love of his life and an uh, evil mother who did everything in her power to thwart the star-crossed lovers. Oh my god, this sounds like a story I would not read actually. <laughs> I'd start reading it and be like, what the? <laughs> it's all of Rome. Any bullshit romantic theaters like, oh, I can't read this, I'm sorry. <laughs> Up to this point in the narrative, the Roman historians paint Agrippina as an aberration specifically because she is abnormally unemotional the way a man would be. Nero's affair with Acte suddenly triggers emotional responses in Agrippina that had never existed up to this point. What are these? Tacitus likes to describe it as feminine jealousy, almost as if Agrippina was jealous that her son's affections were for another woman. So fucking literally, they're like, bro, you don't have any emotions. It's weird. But then the second she starts having emotions, Dude, I don't are you think she, sleeping I, with your son? I don't think she actually had any emotions. That's like, it's very No, weird. I know. It's just like, ridiculous. Like, I don't, it's like she she would not have cared that he was sleeping with a slave girl. It was more like, dude, you have a wife. Yeah. You need to show your wife some attention. Dude, fucking dude. Yeah. Oh, God. In the end, Agrippina ends up apologizing to Nero, presumably to make amends and the two reconcile. Nero's form of reconciliation involved gifting her with a pretty dress and some jewelry. And while we might think, oh, Get that's, that's kind of sweet. No, we don't think that. <laughs> Forget the fuck out, that too. <laughs> Agrippina took it as a blatant insult. Yeah. She was never interested in materialism. Bribing the prominent female figure in your life with pretty things was what emperors did with women that occupied ornamental roles in their lives. This was not Agrippina. This would never be Agrippina. And she resented Nero Can for you it. see Agrippina like, with, like, with a jeweled necklace just like wrapping around her wrist like, I'm going to fucking kill this prick. <laughs> The next major blow to Agrippina's power base happened when Nero dismissed Pallas from his service. Again, 
he was the dude that put her forth on Bachelorette Rome edition. (laughs) (laughs) Agrippina and Pallas had remained close friends and allies up to this point. Dismissing Pallas was a clear indication from the new regime that Agrippina's days of political influence were numbered. Tacitus claims at this point that Agrippina throws a full-on temper tantrum in response to this dismissal, right down to the crying and the screaming and suddenly threatening rather irrationally that she was going to put Britannicus in Nero's place. I bet that there was no crying, no screaming, but that threat was probably real. Yeah. She's like, bitch, I put you on the throne. Come at me. There's another one. So from what I understand, it's right around this point. I think Britannicus is about 13. So he's coming to an age where he's supposed to get his toga. And despite the fact that everyone paints her as being this like evil stepmother out of Cinderella, like making Britannicus scrub the floors, she actually wasn't that bad to him and she she cared enough to be like it's time to introduce him to society yeah which well he was nero couldn't have yeah well he wasn't a threat anymore no he's still a threat as we're talking about shit (laughs) (laughs) well nero Uh, thinks he's a threat (laughs) okay i was gonna say like she got what she wanted she cannot be like and then there's this guy (laughs) i mean she was just she was trying to do the right thing by the kid yeah that's the sense i get but everyone's like she was scheming to put him on the throne so speaking of her fucking son gave her jewelry and dresses. <laughs> so speaking of Britannicus, I'm sure you're all wondering what happened to him. I'm, I would be. You're not? You're not oh, all curious? <laughs> <laughs> the short end of it is that he's been largely relegated to the background and kept out of the public eye. This was done before Claudius died to help secure Nero's role in the succession. And historians, again, as we mentioned, they like to blame Agrippina for this too, being an evil stepmother. <laughs> Once Nero was the emperor, it is clear that at one point he started to consider his younger stepbrother to be a legitimate threat. Again, could have been Agrippina just being like, hey, he's an adult. Let's give him a toga. Like, take the purple stripe off. (laughs) Give him some, you know, some roles in public society. Yeah. How dare she? Now, as the story goes, the whole imperial family is eating dinner together when Britannicus starts to mysteriously choke on his food. Oh, no. Some sources like to suggest that Agrippina killed him. Of course. But both she and his sister Octavia are observed by all contemporary sources as being completely and utterly shocked and pale-faced as they watch him die. For the most part, though, everyone agrees Nero is the one that killed Britannicus. That's right. Nero killed his younger stepbrother in cold blood at the dinner table. Wow. Presumably with poison he obtained from Lacusta. Oh, yeah, she's still there. She's very much a thing. Um, after the whole Claudius tobacco, Nero actually takes her into his service and has her train more people oh, to make poison. No, he's like, so you like a poison master. Let's start a poison school. It'd be like Hogwarts, but like creepier. For poison. <laughs> Nero coldly brushed the whole thing off as just his annoying little stepbrother having an epileptic fit at the dinner table and had him removed. What a shit. The rest of his dinner guests, including his traumatized mother and stepsister wife, had to carry on with the dinner as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is often noted as the turning point for Nero. He will go on to do a lot of atrocious things in his reign, including bringing back the treason trials of Tiberius fame that will result in the deaths of a lot of people. Killing the little stepbrother that he grew up with and played with is the start of it all. Octavia already hated her stepbrother husband. I'd imagine she was now terrified of him at this point. 
And for Agrippina, she probably felt the chill run down her spine as well. Even Seneca and Burris start to try and distance themselves from Nero. Octavia's like, yo, Agrippina, you you won't come to villa with me? Like, we can sleep in the same bed and, like, we could both have knives under our pillows? The fallout between Nero and Agrippina seemed inevitable at this point, and when it happened, it happened swiftly. Not long after Britannicus was murdered at the dinner table, several powerful members of the Senate were seen visiting Agrippina. The sources speculate that she may have been trying to form her own power base outside of Nero, either to work in tandem with him in an effort to keep the empire running, but while working exclusively with the Senate, or simply to try and overthrow Nero. I bet the people in the Senate were going to her of, of their own volition. They're like, so look, I know we said that you were awful and terrible, <laughs> but he just fucking killed his stepbrother yeah. and then continued dinner. We want you back. <laughs> um, it seems Nero believed the latter, that she was trying to overthrow him because he promptly has her thrown out of the palace. He it sounds was, like a paranoid little fuck, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that's Nero. <laughs> It was a very clear and decisive message. Agrippina was no longer welcome in the masculine-dominated realm of Roman politics. She was a woman. Her place was behind closed doors. Nero was not going to put up with his mother's micromanaging. He was a big boy, goddammit, and he could damn well run the empire on his own. I am going to choke you with this fucking purple shit that I just pulled off your yoga. <laughs> <laughs> this fall from Greece made Agrippina a bit of a leper where she once traversed the streets of Rome in a litter, surrounded by imperial guards and people clamoring in the streets of Rome for the chance of a word or a favor or just a view of Agrippina Augusta. Now they were said to practically throw themselves in the gutter to avoid her at all costs whenever she appeared in public. It was almost (laughs) as if they feared her fall from grace was contagious. Rome is dramatic. I know. They throw themselves in the streets. But also, you said that she was carried. No, I'm not care about that. No, you said that she's carried around in a litter. I'm just like, all of all of them. I know it's such a ridiculous thing. (laughs) I didn't. I don't have this in my notes, but apparently, in the beginning, when she and Nero were on good terms, she stayed in the litter and made him walk beside it as the emperor, as he should. Suetonius likes to suggest that Nero went so far as to bribe people to harass her and dredge up lawsuits just so that they could annoy her and keep her busy enough to leave him alone. I believe it. There were other accusations made against her as well. Now that she had fallen out of favor with the emperor, anyone that had a grievance against Agrippina suddenly felt emboldened to slander her. One of the more egregious and convoluted tales was dredged up by two women that Agrippina had pissed off in the past. One being women hold such aggressive grudges sometimes. Okay. One of them had been the former wife of Passienus, who you'll remember from our last episode was Agrippina's second husband. So she replaced, uh, she displaced that woman, and then he dies and she ends up with all his money. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember why the other woman hated her. I don't think it was anything special other than, you know, she's powerful. Yeah. Anyway, so they accused her of having an affair with Rebellius Plautus. No, that's not his name. (laughs) So he was the great-grandson of Emperor Tiberius and thus had a very shoddy claim to the throne as a potential rival. 
So in addition to slut-shaming Agrippina and saying that she was a cougar shagging up with a hot 22-year-old. Hell yeah. Get it, girl. (laughs) They spun a tale of a jilted mother trying to supplant her ungrateful son with a new, more agreeable replacement that she also intended to marry so that she could be the empress again. Sounds better than Nero in every way. (laughs) When Nero found out, he sent his two dude bros, Burris and Seneca, to confront Agrippina and her reaction to the accusations of blatant treason were hilarious. Oh, no. <laughs> it was one full of complete derision and disdain, as if to even bring such a ridiculous story to her offended her very being. Sounds like something Agrippina would do. So <laughs> she ends up saying the following of Solana, which was the other woman. I am not surprised that Solana, who hasn't got children of her own, doesn't know what it's like to be a mother. Or she would know that mothers do not change their children like a whore changes partners. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, Agrippina, shots fired! (laughs) These accusations would go on to backfire against the conspirators. Agrippina was so enraged by the blatant attack on her character that she demanded to see her son. We'll never know what happened behind closed doors in the palace, but it appears that... probably slapped him around... (laughs) It appears that Agrippina and Nero hashed out whatever issues they were dealing with at the time. His tail was between his legs when he left that. Yeah, door. like apparently when they emerged, Nero was just like, okay, I'll, shell shocked. Like, I'll stop. Shit. She's like, you little shit, listen here. I put you on this throne. I can take you off this throne. You think you have the, the freaking principal on, on freaking poison? Watch me. <laughs> I'll take your poison academy and they'll all work against you. <laughs> Yes, that's probably what she said. Oh, I love Agrippina. <laughs> so her accusers were punished, and Agrippina had a few of her friends installed in powerful positions in the empire again. I like to imagine she spanked Nero for being an ungrateful child, but more than likely, they just came to some kind of truth. Nope, she slapped him around. <laughs> <laughs> she would keep her nose out of the public realm. Yes, yes please don't beat your children. <laughs> don't. She would keep her nose out of the public realm of politics, and Nero would in turn stop harassing her. It essentially relegated her to the domestic realm of female power, where all influence was made behind closed doors again. But at least she did not have to worry about fantastical tales being dredged up against her to try and kill her. Unfortunately, because Agrippina was relegated to this role, it means she disappears from the pages of history for the next couple of years. The one time we do hear about her is when she is mentioned in accusations made against Seneca that suggested he point both Agrippina and Agrippina's mother. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, it's hysterical if you think about it because Agrippina and Seneca loathe one another yeah. at this point. So It's got to be the angriest sex ever. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> talk about slapping someone around. <laughs> She's like, we don't talk about that. That's like the Mr. and Mrs. Jones Smith? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That scene where they're like fighting each other and they like slowly start to fuck each other, but like it's just all fighting. Like there's nothing else in between. There's no way we can know for certain what the movements of Agrippina were during the year she appears off page. All we can do is speculate. But I think we can assume she was not just relegated to a quiet life of reflection and solitude out in the countryside like some queen mothers we've discussed in the past. If Agrippina was quietly being fanned by slaves on an island, there would not have been such a huge falling out between her and Nero at the end of her life that results in her death. 
And although the years leading up to her death are very quiet, we do know that the city of Rome and the empire were being run smoothly. This period in Nero's reign is conspicuously quiet. He hasn't fully adopted the role of tyrannical maniac just yet. More than likely, Agrippina was quietly working behind the scenes with Burris, Seneca, and the senators to keep the day-to-day -day administrative business of the empire running while Nero ran around the city with his actor friends and started brawls with the plebeians in the streets. So why does Nero decide to kill his mother? Yes, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> we honestly cannot know for sure, but there are some interesting theories. Some of them suggest that Nero was simply terrified of his mother, and so she had to go. Others suggest that it was another woman that wanted to see Agrippina out of the way. This woman was Papea Sabina. She will go on to become Nero's second wife. The more salacious tales suggest that Papea was jealous of Agrippina because Nero kept a concubine that looked like his mother. Oh. This story comes up in the narratives that like to accuse Nero and Agrippina of having an incestuous relationship. The stories are all, um, they're so ridiculous and absurd that historians agree they're probably just that stories. Yeah. But again, accusing your political enemies of incest was a favorite pastime for most Roman historians. I love how they're like, okay, so there's been some seriously absurd shit happening, but this is like way too absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when I say I should specify, historians later on after the Romans, oh, yeah, yeah. they're just like, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Other stories suggest that Papea simply did not like Agrippina because Agrippina would have vocally denounced the idea of Nero divorcing his current stepsister wife for Papea. And this is probably the closest thing to the truth that we are going to get because Agrippina would absolutely disapprove of a woman she would have perceived as a shameless social climber. Another thing to keep in mind about Agrippina is that she is still very popular amongst the Praetorian Guard and the Roman military by virtue of being the daughter of Germanicus. Nero would have known that Agrippina still had this trump card in the back of her pocket if she ever decided to use it against him. People continue to debate Nero's motives for killing his mother nearly 2,000 years after the fact. What we do know for certain is that he does end up killing her. God damn it! But it <laughs> It takes him several failed plot attempts to actually do so. Well, at least he was still ridiculously <laughs> not up to the job. <laughs> yes, as we're about to find out. <laughs> this is well, honestly you are a waste of human space. Honestly, the death of Agrippina is my favorite part about her. It's oh. the reason I wanted to do this story. You'll find out why. No, that's something I actually expect to come out of your mouth, honestly. <laughs> so the first plot involved trying to poison her. Is she like Rome's Rasputin? Mm. But like everyone loved her, not hated her? I mean, it, she wasn't seen as a sorceress. It was just. Oh. No. I'm just talking about the, the 8 billion failed attempts. <laughs> well, Nero was stupid. Yeah. As we're going to find out. Like when you hear some of these posture, you're going to be like, you're stupid. You're dumb. You're an idiot. Like this wouldn't have worked. So we again, all know this. Nero would have known the value of his mother's reputation. Rome still loved her. The military still loved her. Yeah. He could not outright order anyone to murder her because they simply wouldn't do it. But, like, why did he want to kill her? Other than the she's fact that she's better him, than him in every way? Again, this could be her trying to find somebody else to supplant him. He's it's just paranoid. Nero's crazy, okay? okay. He yeah. is going to go on to kill 
everyone in his life. It's kind of ridiculous. Nero basically had to make it look like an accident. In order to do this, he attempted to have allies infiltrate Agrippina's household so that she could be murdered far away from the palace. What Nero didn't anticipate was the fact that Agrippina was always three moves ahead when playing her little game of chess. I'm sorry, you didn't anticipate the fact that your mother is always ahead of you? Well, so he tries to poison her, forgetting the fact that she's the one who found Lacusta. So she regularly ingested antidotes oh. to immune herself against exactly this sort of thing. What is that called? It's called mithridism? Mithridism? That's literally like a thing. Like you, you, you immunize ingest poison little yeah. doses. Yeah. So that's what she did. Poisoning your political enemies was about as commonplace as accusing them of incest. Agrippina <laughs> was prepared for this. Three assassination attempts were made with poison, and three attempts failed. Killing her would not be that easy. It is myth, mithrid, mithridatism. Mithrid, mithrid, oh my god, that's a word. Mithridatism? Yeah. Sorry. That was cool. No, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of mithril, which is a type of album. You're such a dork. I love you. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> The next time he tried to kill her supposedly involved rigging the ceiling of her bedchamber to fall on her. What? <laughs> Points for, um... Trying to be clever? Yeah. So, the problem with this would-be stupid plan was that it was leaked before it could be enacted. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> and so Agrippina fled her home. Agrippina's just like, are you fucking for real right now? You're gonna kill me with my bedchamber ceiling? <laughs> The third attempt made at her life occurred with some elements of the second story mixed in. It basically involved rigging a collapsible boat. And Nero had to trick his mother with the promise of reconciliation to get her on that boat. This was during the Festival of Minerva, where it is said he wined and dined his mother and was uncharacteristically super nice and affectionate towards her at this point. He even kisses her goodbye on the dock before nope. sending her off on the nope. ship. she's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> Why does Minerva sound so familiar? She's a goddess of something. Yeah. <laughs> so the stories vary as to how the event actually went down, but there is a common denominator in all the stories. Something happened Nero. to cause <laughs> the boat to sink, and Agrippina manages to escape and swim to shore. You'll remember that one time she was exiled on an island? Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone and their mother was exiled on an island in her days. Well, it turns out Agrippina's favorite pastime on that was island swimming. was leisurely swimming in the ocean. <laughs> turns out she's a very good swimmer. She's like, bitch, bring it on. The ocean answers to me and my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean answers to me, poison's answer to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> so, although he does wear, which kind of sucks. So the way Tacitus tells the story, the ceiling on the boat was rigged to collapse on top of her and sink the boat. She survived, but for the grace of a sofa in her room, breaking the fall of the ceiling and giving yeah. her some space so that she was not crushed. That's the gods listening, bitch. <laughs> when the collapse of the ceiling failed to sink the boat, the rest of the crew sabotaged the boat. In this version of the story, one of her friends claims to be the empress in an attempt to be rescued by the members of the crew, not realizing that this whole thing is an assassination attempt. And so the assassins respond by beating Agrippina's friend to death with oh, no. while Agrippina swims to shore. That's 
upsetting. In the play Octavia, this moment is dramatized by suggesting another ship had to ram the boat Agrippina was on, and thus everyone on the crew was tragically murdered, save for Agrippina, who manages to swim to shore. Cast stop trying. <laughs> and then in Cassius Dio's version, the boat simply had a collapsible bottom, but in this version of the story, she falls in the water and still manages to swim to shore rather than drown because, duh, it's Agrippina. Because her fucking <laughs> pastime on the exile island was fucking swimming. Listen, if you want to kill Nero, Agrippina, do your research. <laughs> Shit. Gonna have to try harder than that. Yeah. If you want to kill Agrippina Augusta, granddaughter of Augustus, daughter of Germanicus, sister of Gaius slash Caligula, and wife of Claudius, you damn well better be prepared to do it yourself. Fuck yeah. When Agrippina got back to her villa, her slaves and attendants tended to her wounds while she recollected herself. She her was- slaves are like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> she then wrote a letter to her stupid son to tell him. Listen, bitch. <laughs> that she had been in an accident, but she was alive. No, she knew. She fucking knew. <laughs> well, okay. So if I had written the letter, I would have called Nero a coward and told him to come kill me himself. Listen, you little <laughs> sniveling weasel. <laughs> but this is Agrippina, and she is more level-headed than you and I are. Wow, that's rude. She's, you're not wrong. <laughs> She's what forty something. <laughs> so she continued to play innocent, even though she had to know at this point that her son was trying to kill her. She just wants it. Oh no! happens to you so tragically. There was a swimming that tried to collapse on me and somebody tried to poison me. I know. But it's okay, Nero, because the gods are on my side, so I'm fine. Nero's just like sweating bullets. (laughs) By now, everyone in town had seen the boat sink. If Nero was trying to kill her surreptitiously in order to maintain his reputation and keep the world... It's not. They the jig is up now. The entire town loved Agrippina. They were genuinely concerned for her, and they eagerly awaited news of her health and prayed to the gods to bless her with good fortune. When it was announced that she was alive and well, the people literally, you know, threw themselves in the street. Oh yeah, they <laughs> Our beloved Agrippina. Oh my god. <laughs> This was no good for Nero, and this is when the sources tell us that he was hilariously terrified at this point. <laughs> Nero's just like, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> Almost as if he anticipates her wrathful vengeance. So he turned to his two... Have you met your mother? <laughs> he turns to his two most trusted dude bros, Seneca and Burris, and asks them for help. Seneca flat out told Nero that there was no turning back now. His only course of action was to order his own mother's execution. What? Well, because she knows, everyone well, yeah. knows. It's like at this point, just... yeah. But if you order her execution, bitch, well, you can you can backpedal now. Nero then time. turns to Burris and asks if the Praetorian Guard would act on this order, and Burris told him, under no uncertain circumstances, would they do it. <laughs> the Praetorian Guard is not going to kill Agrippina on account yeah. of her being both an Augusta and the daughter of Germanicus. Yeah. We're afraid of her. (laughs) (laughs) No, they genuinely loved her. No, I know. (laughs) And they're afraid of her. (laughs) I'm afraid of her, and she's been dead for 2,000 years. In the end. I'd be, like, weirdly afraid of her, but also, like, attracted to her. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. In the end, the only person Nero was able to convince to kill his mother was a former slave by the name of Anicetus, who apparently openly hated Agrippina. And so he grabbed his men and marched to her villa, 
where Agrippina was awaiting word from the messenger that had carried her letter to Nero. Anicetus kicked down her villa door, had the bulk of his men retrieve her slaves, and then searched the villa for Agrippina. <laughs> There's our third co-host. <laughs> Anicetus then found her lounging on a couch, visibly anxious and nursing her wounds. Anicetus, along with a man named Herculius and the centurion named... His name is not Herculius. It is. Oh my god. <laughs> and then the centurion named Oberitus surrounded Agrippina and to them she said this uh -oh. if you've come to visit the sick mother tell him I'm fine if you are here to murder me I refuse to believe that this is my son's order Nero did not order his mother's death they responded by hitting her over the head with a club oh, shit. Agrippina did not fall she stared Oberitus dead in the eyes blood dripping from her mouth. Jesus. As Oberitus drew his sword, Agrippina pulled her dress aside to reveal her stomach, and she uttered the most epic final words I have ever heard. Smite my womb. Holy fuck. You know that that sword hand was fucking trembling. Like, oh, God. <laughs> and so Oberitus... Smite my womb? <laughs> yes. Jesus. She either said smite my womb or essentially strike here. Rachel, we're at it. I don't care what the <laughs> fuck my last words are. You better make up some crazy ass shit. <laughs> Anya agrees. Anya concurs. <laughs> and so, Oberitus stabbed her in the womb that gave birth to the most despicable and ungrateful son of Rome that ever existed. Oh no, I know. We're sad. Agrippina died. Agrippina was given a violent death typically reserved for men. Julius she was better than every man to exist so far. Julius Caesar had been stabbed 23 times by men that cried as they did the deed. Oh, Caligula had been stabbed in the streets of Rome by guardsmen, and Agrippina had been stabbed on the orders of her own son. Agrippina died on March 30th, 59 CE, and she died as she had lived, ferociously, fearlessly, and defiantly. Damn. She was 43 years old. Holy shit! If there's anything we can take away from the story of Agrippina, it is that she was a remarkable woman that existed out of time. She saw the social and political structures in place in Rome that would have normally barred members of her sex from participating and refused to let that deter her. When she was told, no, you do not belong here, Agrippina persisted anyway. She's like, bitch, fight me. She <laughs> persisted obstinately. I belong here every bit as much as you do, if not more. I am my husband's equal. I gave my son his crown. I will not be quiet. I will not be set aside. I am Agrippina Augusta, and you will remember me. Oh my God, Agrippina is the difficult damsel, like the one and only. <laughs> and so the histories did. A lot of it was embellished and most of it wasn't great. But the histories did remember her in large part because she refused to be a good Roman woman. And if we've learned anything from this podcast by now, it's that well-behaved women are seldom remembered by history. So get out there and misbehave. Hell yeah. <laughs> Little addendum. Oh. <laughs> After Agrippina died, Nero is said to have been haunted by her ghost in his dreams. Bet your ass he was. She's like, you think you were done with me, dumbass? Her memory was purged. What? Just as Messalina's had been. Ew. 
No. Um, all the statues were removed. Her name was removed from the records. He will go on to murder Octavia God, so that he can marry shit. Papaya. Stop. When Papaya is pregnant, he will murder her as well. He, he kicks her to death. <gasps> she's pregnant. Yes. Wow. And as we know, the city of Rome burns because he's trying to make way for his huge Colosseum. So it just makes everything no. very flammable. And when it burns, he, um, he uses this weird little cult sect known as a, these, these Christians, they were this new religion of the time. God damn it. They were the minority religion, and so he used them as a scapegoat. Of course he did. To blame the burning of Rome. Of course. And um, everyone rose up in the streets to murder the Christians. And that's why they hate him in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can hate him for plenty of yes. other reasons. But he yeah. will uh, go on to murder Seneca. And he will exile Burris and murder him. I just, this is why I don't understand why. Oh, and the best part. Oh, sorry. When everyone's had enough of Nero, he tries to kill himself. Please don't, he botches it completely. And he kind of sucks at it, yeah. (laughs) He was uh, 30 years old when he died. Wow. He was younger than me. Good fucking Everything minutes. Nero did, he did before the age of 30. God damn. Like, usually we're like, oh yeah, you're awesome. But never, Nero, you fucking suck. You. What? Anya wants to join us for Anya's finally speaking question up. time. You have a question? What's your question? That's a weird question. She wants to know if Agrippina was more difficult or more damsel. 100% difficult. <laughs> I don't think she ever was a damsel. Well, okay, so do you remember our parameters? One of them was... Did you write them down? Cause I to... <laughs> there, yeah. One of them was was she kidnapped? One of them was um, were there tales told about her? So yes, there were incestuous tales told about her. Okay, so parameters for a damsel. Was she kidnapped or attempted kidnapped? She no. was exiled. Right, that's a separate one, though. Oh, so no, the kidnapped. No. Was she married off as a child? Yes. Yes. Was she ever in danger and in need of rescuing? Yeah. Kind of at the end. Yeah. But she rescued herself. She tried. Yeah. Until they stabbed her. She fucking gave great last words. So yes. She kind of rescued herself. I, I just kind of like the idea that she was criticized for being masculine and she ends up with a kind of like masculine violent death as yeah. opposed to oh, yeah. like being poisoned or yeah. an accident. She was a badass. <laughs> was she imprisoned? She was exiled. That yeah. counts, right? Was she exiled? Yeah. yeah, she was in prison on an island. I think that exiled. Was she in prison <laughs> slash exiled? Yes. Should be the question. Yes, <laughs> she was. <laughs> so we got like two points for yeah. being a damsel. Wait, um, those were damsel questions? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Did she usurp any thrones? Now we're on to... Yes. Was she difficult? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. Was she directly responsible for anyone's death? Yes. Yes. I almost just want to keep saying yes before you even ask these questions, because I know she's, a diff- she's difficult, so... Did she openly challenge any gender-related yes. conventions of the time? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yes. 100 points to Gryffindor. 
This one's interesting. Did she incur the wrath of the church or religious institutions of the time period? No. She even like made herself was, a priestess. What was the religious a institution new church. of the time period? It would have been just they would have just worshipped the Roman gods. Oh. And they they the um stolen Greek god. Greek gods. Yeah. <laughs> well, plus you you had basically you had these weird cult churches like how they deified Claudius. There was also like a church to Augustus because he'd been deified. So she's like, if you want to start a church after I will I start. I will be your high priestess. You fucking better be. And I want some <laughs> serious like jeweled crown headdress things going on. Wild card. Was she stabbed in the stomach after many failed attempts of assassination? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say. She is 100%. I think, I think she. She, she was difficult enough where she turned her damsel moments into difficult moments. Like yeah. she managed to turn everything on its head and and come out the winner, except for that last. I thing. think she <laughs> unseats Eleanor of Aquitaine, and I think she unseats Ojo Masako. Fuck yeah! It was like it's at well, least she, very close. She did already because she was the conversation we had. So you posted the, this on Facebook, and I, I don't think we actually talked about it. So you should talk about why this podcast started. Oh, yeah. I think I mentioned it. You I mentioned it in the first episode. Did we? I think so. In it's been apartment. three weeks, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I didn't, I'm pretty sure I did. But basically... Um, it's a fun story, so shut the fuck up and listen. I'm fairly certain we mentioned it. <laughs> just say it again. But <laughs> we, Kat and I were just grabbing a beer and some pizza um, at the place that she used to live by. And I had just heard the podcast. So if you want to hear more about Agrippina, go listen to the other half. They do, um, it's like a three or four part series on Agrippina. Um, And that is my favorite podcast episode series I've ever listened to because I walked away from it like, who is this woman? And I had to tell you. (laughs) And we basically were sitting across the table drinking beer and having pizza. And I told the story of Agrippina. And we were like, we need to do this as a podcast. Wait, wait, wait. Go back to the, my culture. She posted a, a Facebook post and she was like talking about this. And she goes, and then Kat reacted. And I was like, yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. I was like, that's all I did, guys. Everyone loves your reactions, though. So it's perfect. It's like you're, you're the step it's in just for the funny for the audience. Yeah. Yeah, but your reactions are the best part. Like, otherwise, we're going to have to roll reversal soon. I know. Excited. See, you're excited and I'm nervous as fuck. I'm fine. It's going to be good. (laughs) You guys, I have to follow a Virgo in research. (laughs) I'm a fucking Aries. (laughs) Yeah, but you have a Taurus moon, so you've got some earth in you. You can do it. I know. I know I can do it. You're Scorpio rising, so it'll be intense as fuck. I my whole life. (laughs) Hi. Um, yeah, y'all, your your big three are like really stubborn signs. There's no changing your mind. Are you surprised by this? No, <laughs> explain everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have also decided that the dude that finds me a beach house <laughs> and gets me a cat dragon. Should I produce a child for you, and it be a girl? Her name will be Agrippina Augusta. Yeah, the fuck it will. Yes. And we will call her Aggie. Yeah, because Cat <laughs> loves really aggressive old <laughs> names that have like cute modern nicknames. 
And there will be no issue like there was with Nero in telling my child that she is an empress. And, the <laughs> and whole be like, you don't have to live up to fucking mom's bullshit. Just because mom didn't become an empress doesn't mean you have to, okay? <laughs> you do, though. You're going to be like, you're gonna be, oh my god, you're going to be like the equivalent of those sports parents who never did anything or like in their life. mom. Yeah. Yes. Dude, no. I'm stealing your child. I'm kidnapping your child. You can't have my child. I can't let you. A child She's like my this. future bread and butter, okay? Oh, She's the future queen of the okay. world. So, um, future child of Rachel, I am so sorry. You can come <laughs> to Aunt Cat's house whenever the fuck you want. Uh, we'll, we'll eat Reese's and bonbons oh. and talk about how ridiculous Rachel is. <laughs> but I'll also send you I back because I don't day. do children. <laughs> Anyway, my sources for this episode were, like, my main source was Emma Sethin's Agrippina. I need to actually start including, like, pictures of the book. But um, the book is amazing, and I really liked the writer because the whole time I was reading it, she was incredibly sarcastic. Yes. I could feel her eye roll when she was talking about, like, the misogyny of Tacitus and Suetonius. I was like, I like you. You're my people. I like you. (laughs) Um, I also used Wikipedia. And if anyone is interested in learning more about Caligula or, I mean, I guess Claudius, I don't know why he's boring Um, (laughs) or Nero, uh, there's two podcasts I highly recommend. One is the history of Rome podcast. It's more of a, more of a drier fact-based podcast, but the episodes are like 20 to 30 minutes. They're really short. They're very, they're cool. And then there's Totalis Frank. Totalis Rankium, and it basically ranks the emperors. Oh no! It's um each emperor each emperor gets an episode, and they they go through all the crazy shit, <laughs> and it's it's pretty funny. It's a yes. good time. I recommend it. I listened to the the Nero and Claudius episodes um yesterday yesterday and today just to like ground myself in the time periods. So like like oh, yeah, Claudius, like, nobody cared. Nobody gives a he shit about, about it. you. <laughs> Nero was insane. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> but, we can um, all agree on that. Yeah. And uh, you can support Difficult Damsels by rating and reviewing us and subscribing. That's a big one. Yeah. Please subscribe. Please rate. Please review. If you do, we'll read it on the podcast. Review us because we, we genuinely want to hear yes. from you guys. Like, it, we Absolutely. have a grand time when we read reviews. Yes. Like, oh, you can, I mean, if you give us a a bad review, you have to have like serious examples if of why. It's less than five stars, I'm gonna delete it. Also bad. <laughs> I'm kidding. I won't. Um, we want a dissertation as to why you hate us. You <laughs> just can, so we can burn it in our new moon ceremony. <laughs> yes. Fuck okay. it. You can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at difficult damsels slash the podcast. And that's we're, the same name on Instagram, but Kat like apparently sucks. On Instagram. Kat sucks at Instagram, guys. If you have not been listening, this is where we're at. Thor is having a dream. Um, <laughs> so we're there. We exist in the realm of Instagram. But Kat has seriously let it down. Rachel's been posting on Facebook, too. So Yeah, I didn't last time. In. Did I? I don't think I did. did. Nope. We're missing. Oh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> stay difficult. No, we totally fucking posted. No, I was checking today. Shit. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. We should probably do <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> come back and... Guys, someone be our social media person because we're done with it. <laughs> stay difficult. Stay difficult.